that is like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars by the end of this year. This is like first three months, okay? That's Alex, the founder of Red Panda. They've raised $163 million. As a former founder who struggled to hit product market fit, I was envious of the speed that they went from zero to 60, but they did so many things right. Emax and GCC on a Lenovo P50 on a Miami apartment. I was just writing the thing that I wish I had as an engineer. And so I started writing blog posts about it. In my mind, I was like, you know, I'm not sure if this is gonna work out, but you know, whatever, I'm gonna write the code. This is super fun. And then I open sourced an RPC framework that I started getting a bunch of traction. There's like an Italian database that that adopted it internally. There's a couple of governments that adopted this open source project. It was just a communication framework. And so once I once I wrote the storage engine, frankly, it took off on its own. Although they had this rapid ride as a success, it's not always been easy with Alex. And he was very vulnerable about sharing just the challenges of being a solo founder. It's an incredible episode. Enjoy it. Boom. We're on a mission to help founders hit product market fit faster. We do this by interviewing founders that have been there. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell. This podcast is put together by Zendesk for startups. We offer six months free of Zendesk customer support suite for qualified product-oriented companies. Alex, welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. Super excited to have you here. Can you tell us first about Red Panda, just like what you do and the size of the company? Yeah. Red Panda is a Kafka replacement for mission critical systems. So anyone that is running a Kafka workload, uh, you should call me uh, or you should uh, join my Slack. We'd love to have a conversation with you. The size of the company right now, we are in about 15 countries or so. We're almost 200 people right now spread worldwide. We have to cover uh, all of the, you know, follow the sun support for, for some of our Fortune 2000 customers. Um, customers that, you know, we, we could talk about that are on our website, you know, uh, Akamai and, and Vodafone and Stonex and some of the largest financial organizations, largest banks, largest, you know, car companies. Um, so we've been just super fortunate to get to partner with the largest enterprises. That's amazing. How, how many employees do you have and how much money have you raised? We've raised $163 million to date. We just raised and a $100 million round led by Lightspeed uh, and Google Ventures um, a couple of months ago. Uh, so just uh, super chest. I think the reason for that was largely that we just, uh, you know, we, we, we tend to win. I think when, when given the opportunity to, talk, to have an honest conversation with the engineer from a technical perspective. And so that's really what led the sort of, you know, the confidence in, in our existing board members to put another $100 million and we are, I think, 175 people. This is amazing, Alex. Thank you for like, congrats on that. And I know so many founders, like they see the TechCrunch article and they're 100, you know, just seeing you go on Crunchbase, see how much money you raise and the, some of the best VCs in the world. But if you could take us into some lower moments that you've had, I think it just helps founders know that it's not all like just the realities of what it what it's like to build a company like Red Panda. Maybe there's a specific story where you were concerned about the company even continuing. I am a solo founder and um, it's really lonely. And so, you know, there, there's just been numerous uh, moments that are, have been hard. You know, an example is when like the person that, that raised you when, when you were a child, um, you know, gets put into palliative care um, uh, and, and you just kind of have to still show up on Monday um, and perform because that's the job. So, or when you're, you know, I think when you lose a kid in a late stage pregnancy with your, with your partner, there's like a lot of, I think, personal problems that as a CEO, you just, 
you know, you just kind of have to continue to um, perform it, it. You know, I, I think in, in many ways it is, it is, it is the job. It is why I'm here. And, and you know, I, I take it super seriously that the, the people that I have the privilege to partner with every day, I've made a commitment to them that I will do whatever it is in my power to make them successful. And, but to a large extent, I think when you have like a lot of the, the ups and downs of the business, uh, you know, it's sort of like when, when the waves uh, uh, combine on the ups and downs, you kind of get this huge amplitude of both spikes and uh, sometimes is, is uh, sad and, and um, but you know, it's, it's never easy. Uh, I think mm. even, you know, f- for us, which we've had like this fabulous growth, almost textbook growth, you know, relative for the last two and a half years that we decided to sell the product. Um, you know, I think at a personal level for those that are building companies, it's, it's always hard. Um, and th- those are probably the lowest moments for me. It's, it's just sort of, gosh, it's like when, when the curve, you know, uh, you know, if you, if you think of a sine wave or whatever, right. It's just like when, when the low points of the company also coincide with like really low points in your life, where you just kind of have to take a, a break, uh, especially when you have like meaningful impacts, like your mom is dying or, mm. you know, you lose, um, it does, does have been really hard uh, moments. Um, mm. And you still have to show up to the next meeting with the CIO of a fortune 5,000 and, you know, be, be energized and, you know, tell them why, how you're going to help them uh, save money or reduce complexity or whatever it is that you're trying to help them with you know, back to back 30 minutes. And then the, the following meeting is trying to recruit a principal engineer, right? And so it, it's like, you know, it's like psychotic roller coaster during your lows where it's just like experience, I think the full spectrum of sadness and happiness, but largely you, you, you can't show it. Wow. Thank you so much for being real. This, like, there's a movement that's happening where founders are talking about these parts of things at a more public level. And I'm just so thankful that you're leading the way on that because it just, there's so many people, everyone has these things. Every single founder, I'd be like, for like the past hundred years, have these kind of challenges, but they just don't talk about it because they don't feel like safe doing it. But every single person does. So I'm, I'm curious, what did you do in those moments? Like when you're a solo founder, you don't even have another founder to lean on. Where are you going? to kind of keep your sanity in that, like going through like the loss of a loved one, like you said. I don't, I don't have a great answer, to be honest. I think that for me is, um, I would typically go on a, on a bicycle ride is kind of how I reset myself. And, and the reason for that is my wife doesn't think it's fun, but for me, it's really relaxing to go uphill on a bicycle because it's so exhausting. The only thing you can focus on is your breath and trying to pedal uphill. And there's like nothing physically that you could do anymore because you're just like so tired, so physically tired, so drenched in sweat and it's so hot. And like, like you know, still, if you're going up mountain or whatever on the, on the back of mountain, it's... Uh, uh, just, just so tiring that um, that's kind of how I reset myself. And I think after just breathing through it or going on a bike ride, it's for me, it's, it's super helpful. It's kind of how I center myself. Um, and then in the grand scheme of things, my life is great. And so it's, it's just sort of getting perspective, taking a step back and um, yeah. And, and so that's, the, those are the main things. And then I do have a bunch of um, tactical advisors 
um, people that have taken company public and you know you're like hey i need to take a moment um like i don't need you to solve my personal problem but do you have advice of how to deal with sort of like this really complicated matrix of of decisions that i have to take in the next few days and so leaning on your advices for tactical work to just get through that week um while you kind of like you know are dealing with your your own life it's it's been um a helpful combination but you know it's not great i i think that in general, people need to have a larger community, and it's just so busy that sometimes you leave the, you know, the urgent for the important. And I think that mm. a lot of CEOs go through that. Mm, that that's amazing. But having that outlet, even if it's a short-term thing like the bike ride, to give you that perspective, super helpful. And then having a, a panel of people to like help with who's been there on that journey ahead of you, that you had their phone call. I'm sure you're just texting them, calling them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, super lucky in that regard too. Actually, I would say that both my board members, Arif from Lightspeed and Dave Muni at uh, TV, they've been great at connecting me with other phenomenal humans uh, from you know their best successes and their best investments. Uh, and I feel really lucky about that in many ways because when things hit the fan, they 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 don't know because they haven't taken a company um public um and but i get to lean into the people that they've introduced me to um for just like difficult tactical things and and so the point is that when you hit some some lows um it's helpful to offload some tactical decision making to people that are you know experts uh have done this a thousand times and they're obviously not going to solve your problems but they're going to give you a perspective and you know it's like when you know when, <laughs> when you're a kid. My I have a two year old boy, and the first time that he hit his head, it's like the world melted and he panicked and he was crying for for thirty minutes because that is the hardest thing that he's ever seen. And so similarly, I think some of the hardships that we've gone through at companies to people that have taken a company public, they're like, this is just the first time that you fell in your head. And so having that that context, you're like, okay, I need to get over it myself. Uh, you know, like. And and that just for me, for my personality, that tends to work well. You know, it's like here's a cup of coffee, uh, you and or uh, or a cup of tea, and then I just kind of implement it and I go on. Um, but having access to someone that has that perspective has been really helpful. Oh, I love that is the perfect example. We're definitely using that. Thank you. Um, so this, yeah, just getting that big perspective. I, I think for the next couple of minutes, I really would love to know how you spend your time. It, at each of the different stages of the company. So maybe like pre-seed, seed, series A, how you spent your time at those different stages uh, and maybe how you spend it now as a way for us to know where, where founders should be spending their time, what they should be prioritizing. The first thing that I got on my seed uh, was uh, a mentor, someone that was a series C uh, uh, CEO back then who raised a lot more money that was probably the most meaningful thing that I did early on because the main lesson learned is that I should always focus on the thing that adds the most value to the company. Uh, full stop. It, it, the job of the CEO is how do you spend your time and energy on the things that are multiplicative efforts for the outcome of the company, right? So um, in the seed stage, there was nothing. We came to the world with an idea that we could do better than, than the state of the art, that 
we can make Kafka easy to use and we could make it fast and we could make it simple and developers shouldn't worry about the whack-a-mole of operationalizing this distributed system. And so the most important thing that I did in the first eight months was code. When Arif invested and he's like, hey, we should, we should meet. I was like, can we meet in eight months? Because I'm busy uh, writing code. And it's like, okay, great. And so we met eight months later. There was nothing. I was like, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> I, I need to finish the thing so that we can go and sell it. And then later on, my, my focus right after that, when we uh, uh, released the code source available, was how do I get this product in production, deployed in production? That was the thing that, that mattered the most to me. It wasn't uh, downloads. It wasn't uh, any sort of usage. I was like, if people can depend on my software for mission-critical systems, then we have product market fit. That's how I thought about it. And so that was the transition between the seed and the A. And then at the same time, we made the company source available. Um, and so I spent a ton of the time really either doing whatever it, it meant. It meant, you know, on Saturdays, uh, it didn't have a kid back then. It meant writing code. And, and you know, and other times probably meant recruiting. And like my time spent recruiting just kind of went through the roof and they sort of started to dominate my time for a really long time. Um, it, it later meant, you know, code reviewing and, and releasing this and studying all of the open source licensings and source available licensing so that I would understand the impact of choosing a license for the product that I was building so that I would be able to pay the salary of the seller that would join the company. And I would have to think about the market structure. It's like, okay, what is the pre-sales engineering to, to sell a ratio? How does this help us build a massively successful company? Uh, how do we protect against the hyperclouds from taking the product and so on? And so that's where I spent my time uh, on the Series A is really uh, on, on production workloads. Like, how do I get this? Um, and then it turns out people started paying us. So those, those were the first two years. Um, and then over the last two and a half years, we are a four and a half year old company. Over the last two and a half years, we've been uh, trying to sell. And so the first uh, year of selling is developing, frankly, making up pricing, understanding what your competitors uh, do, trying to get you know big brands to sign on to your product. And for us, it was kind of this, uh, gosh, this binary thing where we went from zero to the hardest Kafka workloads in the world. And so we went from zero to Fortune 2000 using us in production, you know, for like, you know, mission critical things and, and government contractors for things that make it to outer space and back. And they had a Red Panda product embedded in it. And then all of a sudden, Red Panda, it's actually in outer space and on earth and, and you know, all, all, all of this insane deployment doing, you know, tens of gigabytes per second, like some of the largest workloads of Kafka, that was our first year. And so the first year I was surviving, <laughs> like monkey patching, fixing all of the things and, and trying to grow the company. We started to grow revenue, right? Making sure that we weren't losing any customers. That was like the third year. Uh, then last year was really about, you know, trying to work into a sales model that is like more predictable, that we can start to scale. Um, and I think uh, that that's probably where I spent a ton of my time. I still do in product vision, uh, but I stopped coding, right? Um, I still do uh, code reviews because uh, uh, it's like I have to be able to come into a conversation with the chief architect and represent the product well, like, you know, technically uh, sound. And so... I read that and then, yeah, so so in the fourth year, really, it's, it's like spending time more with, with CIOs, uh, trying to affect business impact, like organization-wide. And so we have some of the largest banks in the world. 
And when you start selling into these companies, like you'll understand that a procurement cycle is 12 months or, you know, nine to 12 months. And then it's just for L&D. And it's like, how do I empower other businesses? You start to focus on the business impacts at like massive organizational levels. So that's the fourth year. We'll see, we'll see what, what next year brings. Uh, I don't know. I think the job as a CEO, you're, you know, incompetent on a bunch of jobs until you find someone who's like super competent at those jobs, whether it's marketing or, uh, you know, or sales or uh, solutions engineering or this or that. Um, but really your job, I think, uh, is how I started this, uh, I don't know, rant almost, is I have to do the things that add the highest impact for the company and have multiplicative value. That was amazing. Thank you for pulling us through that journey. I was on the edge of my seat. I know the founders that are listening are going to love it. One of the last questions is around conviction that you were building the right thing before you had a lot of customer input. Because it sounded like you spent a long time building. And I'm just curious, like, I didn't hear how much you were spending time with a customer before. Like, did you just know it so well that you, you didn't have to? So Red Panda started out of my apartment in Miami before I moved to San Francisco. I left Akamai. And I, the, the, one of the liberating things of being an engineer, it's you don't have to ask for permission. You open up your laptop and you write the code, right? So it's like... Emacs and GCC on a Lenovo P50 on a Miami apartment. I was just writing the thing that I wish I had as an engineer. And so I started writing blog posts about it. And in my mind, I was like, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to work out, but, uh, but you know, whatever, I'm going to write the code. This is super fun. And then I open sourced an RPC framework that I started getting a bunch of traction. There's like an Italian database that, that adopted it internally. There's a couple of governments that adopted this open source project. It was just a communication framework. And so once I once I wrote the storage engine, frankly, it took off on its own. Like, you know, we had five Fortune 1000 companies call me and it's like, I want to use the product. I was like, I haven't even released it. This doesn't work. And then I had a company that, you know, I had sold to before um, that is like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars by the end of this year. This is like first three months. OK, I just started the project. If I can deploy this to like whatever, some, some little large network of, of gaming consoles by the end of this year. And I was like, it's probably impossible for me to develop a full distributed storage engine that competes with another one in, in 12 months, but I'll try. And so that was just the conviction. And then a really large telecommunication company from Europe is like, hey, can we deploy this at the edge and so on? And then the largest electric car company started adopting this and so on. And so it was like, it really took off on its own, but I really built the thing I wish I had first. Once we started onboarding that kind of use case, I thought, okay, this, this looks like a real company. And then I moved to San Francisco. Uh, and here we are four and a half years later. So it, for me, it's, it's been, I don't know, maybe just trying to hold down for the life, making sure that the rocket ship doesn't escape. That is amazing. And just for the non-developers out there, what did your, because you were giving it out freely in the beginning, yeah. right? So what, what yeah. did that, how, how did you even let that be known? What were the channels that you were using? Um, so uh, we, we posted the code on GitHub. Um, we had a build that was, that, was, uh, that was available so people could install it on any Linux server via you know, their local package manager, like app get installed or RPM install if you're using any of the Red Hat distributions. And so something that we really focused on was the developer experience. It's like, how do I get this to be the easiest possible thing to install in the world? 
And I type my, my, my developer. We actually call it 60 seconds time to wow. So I'll time it. Actually, for Kubernetes, all my products, I'll take out my cell phone. And for those of you that are listening that can't see me, I'm taking out, I'm like looking at the clock app. I open up the stopwatch and I hit start. And I type the commands on my terminal. And if it doesn't work in 60 seconds, like that is the usage study. And like, you know, that person probably wouldn't, wouldn't get a bonus. Like it is meaningful to me that it works on clock time on what we call the, you know, the, the zero to wow experience, right? And to me, a developer has to be wowed in the first 60 seconds. And we do that for Kubernetes. I can tell you it's a minute and 30 seconds. And frankly, it should be like less than, it should be like 58 seconds. That's what, that's what we're targeting. But today you can get a production version of Red Panda on an EKS or, or a GKE cluster in one minute and 30 seconds flat with like, I've personally deployed this for my upcoming cloud products uh, that we haven't launched. I have, you know, times in like, you know, the hundreds of milliseconds for particular actions that are the hot path. And so that has just been the maniacal focus uh, early on. And so in the beginning it was Docker and then it sort of continued to evolve, but the principle remained the same. It's like, what is the time to wow a developer on their laptop that, you know, or, or like hands on keyboard? That, that has been the, the, the metric that uh, we've obsessed on. Alex, this is amazing. Unfortunately, we have to end, but uh, maybe there's another one in the future. Thank you so much. What's the best way, if, if I'm a founder and I have an authentic outreach to you, is it LinkedIn or Twitter direct messages, if there's like even a chance? Uh, Twitter is, is easiest, um, but you know I'm also active on, on LinkedIn. Both, both would be fine. Uh, Twitter is at Emacs Erno, which stands for the largest error in the Linux kernel, uh, which is it's just kind of a fun factoid. Uh, yeah, reach out. Um, super easy. DMs are open, so feel free to reach out. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for startups, check out our website, zendesk.com slash startups. Also, we're always looking to improve. So don't hesitate to email me with any feedback on how we can ask better questions, guests to target, or anything else so we can do to better help you as a founder. My email is adam.odonnell at zendesk.com.